I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. One of the craziest things in my life happened last weekend. Was that last weekend? I guess it was last weekend. Uh, No, two weekends ago. And it feels like it needs a podcast episode. So this is what I learned from meeting Oprah Winfrey. Please play some kind of music here. Make it sound like a whole thing. Um, What a crazy experience, you guys. If you are not familiar, if you don't follow me on social, first of all, what? You are missing such good pictures. Uh, But also, uh, let me tell you this story. Gosh, when did this all begin? So in the middle of 2019, I made a decision that I would no longer speak on other people's stages unless it was like my friend. Like I made the decision that if my community wanted to see me speak, they could come to a RISE conference. RISE conference, we have two different kinds. We have our women's conference and our business conference. So I felt like we were covering the bases and I knew that it meant that I wasn't going to be able to meet as many of you or hug your necks or sign as many books, but it did mean that I would be able to be home with my family more, which is the highest priority in my life. And so I made this decision. I said, I'm not speaking on anybody else's stages. And then jokingly, I said to my husband, unless Oprah calls. I mean, (laughs) that was really how this entire thing started. Uh... I have, y'all know I have my Start Today journal. I had been writing down in a journal for years and years and years. I speak on Oprah Winfrey's stage. I speak on Oprah Winfrey's stage because, uh, you know, she's had like her soul sessions and Super Soul Sunday and she's done live events for a really long time. And so that was always one of my dreams. So I was kind of saying I am committing to only my own stages unless this dream is made manifest, unless Oprah calls. Well... Fast forward to the end of 2019, I guess, probably the fall, and her team reached out and said, hey, we're doing this tour. Would you like to come and be a speaker? And wow. I mean, the whole experience was so crazy. And I want to give you guys a very real This is really what happened. This is really how the entire thing went down because I feel like I'd want kind of the behind the scenes information if it, if I were listening to your podcast. So this is how it all went down. The team reaches out and they say, we would like you to do this thing. And holy crap, I've been dreaming of this for my entire, like since I was a little girl, I have seen every single episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. I am not exaggerating. I am not being dramatic 
There is not an episode that I have not seen. It was a huge part of my childhood. I watched it every single day, even probably when I was too young to be watching it. I was, and both my parents worked outside the home. So I, you know, I was a latchkey kid. I had my little key and I would let myself in after school and nobody was there to stop me. So I watched Oprah talk about everything. And so much I think of what I know and believe as an adult is based on what I started to consider when I was little watching her. And the team reaches out and they ask if I would consider doing this thing. And I'm like excited, but I also had questions because one of the things I had learned over the last two years, and I want to say this, and this is honoring my hero in in Oprah. And I feel like if she was my real life mentor, she would tell me to do the same thing. And I want to say it to you guys. One of the things I have learned in the last two years of all of the success and all of these opportunities is even the biggest opportunity still needs to be run through your parameters of what makes sense for you. Meaning you need to know in every scenario of your life and your business, like what is the standard that you will accept for the work you want to do, for the things you want to put out there, for the vision that you have for your family? Like what are your standards? Because if you don't set your own standard, people will keep knocking it lower and lower and lower. And so on the surface, you see this idea of like, oh my gosh, it's my hero. It's Oprah. I want to do this thing. I had unfortunately learned the hard way that even some of the best opportunities that could be presented to me might still come with scenarios that were not meeting my standards. For instance, and this popped up, um, the time with which I do a keynote. If you have ever come to one of my conferences, then you know I speak on stage for a minimum of four hours a day. And even when I'm speaking for other people, my my keynotes tend to be a minimum of an hour, usually 90 minutes. Part of it is that's just my style because I wanna spend a little time getting to know the audience. I wanna know who's there. I wanna tell you some things that are gonna make you laugh before I kick your butt, before I make you cry. There's like a whole way that I do the work that I do. And when I was earlier in my career as a speaker, I would just say like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, I'll speak at anything. But I've worked to a place in my career where it's not the finances that I need in order to want to do something. Finances are not my standard. That's not my unit of measure anymore. My standard is, can I do this work that I am so passionate about in the parameters that I have been given by this opportunity? And with this particular opportunity, there was 20 minutes. That is what was available, 20 minutes. And everyone on my team is freaking out and they're so excited. And I had questions. So I asked if I can get on the phone with the people on her team who are the most consummate professionals, so smart, women who have worked with her forever and ever. And I very politely say, thank you so, so much. I don't know how to effectively do what I do in 20 minutes. And I had had more than one situation in 2019 where I had the opportunity to speak for really big names, but they wanted really short speeches. And I know that what I did on that stage was not 
helpful to the audience. Like I just, it, it has nothing to do with me. It is about the audience. And so I was like, guys, I don't think I can do 20 minutes. Uh, can you do an hour? <laughs> and I'm laughing because I, I hope you're laughing too at the freaking audacity to ask this queen and her team like, thank you for the opportunity. I don't need more money. I don't need press. I don't need you to talk about me. I just want the opportunity to do this work in a way that is effective for the audience. And they're just like, say what? Like who on earth? So it's a back and forth and they're gracious and they really want to understand my intention. And I, I explained to them that it is about, for me, it's about the audience and on her tour, she does this Q&A with the people who give keynotes. And I was like, I will happily give up the Q&A moment with her because honestly, doing a Q&A really, would really be about my ego. It wouldn't be about serving the audience. And so if I could just have some extra time. So I'm just trying to like finagle all of these different ways to, to do it in the way that feels right. And we go all around and bless them for going back and, and asking and find it. And they, it gets closer and closer and it finally comes back and they're like, we can't, this is a super tight ship. Everything's planned on to the minute. We've got 20 minutes and we would love to have you do it. Do you, do you want to make it happen? And I will tell you at that point, we were so close. I want to say we were like a month away from it. And I had the vision in my head because this was speaking for Oprah on the day that she was interviewing Michelle Obama. And I had this vision of being able to take some of my best friends who happen to be African-American women and allow them to like be part of this insane day where the most badass, incredible women are sitting on stage. Like what an opportunity. So that became such a big why for me that I was like, okay, guys, let's, let's do it. Um, and the reason I bring that up is like the first thing that I learned from this experience is in the most respectful way possible, because I was so respectful. It wasn't like a negotiation tactic. And if I was fully ready to, to say no to the opportunity, you have to know what your minimum standard is. And you have to know what matters to you and what matters to me, regardless of how sexy or cool or fun or dreamy the opportunity is, is will this allow me to use this platform and use this stage to serve the audience who's sitting out there. Because I do believe that I have worked so hard to get here, but I also have been given incredible opportunities. And I believe I've been given those opportunities because I take very seriously that I want to serve the people watching, not myself. And I have to constantly check that minimum standard. And so something for y'all to think about as you look into your 2020 for your career or your family or your company is what do you need to feel like you are doing your work well? And you can't be blinded by the light, no matter how great the celebrity in order to make that happen. So I'm pretty proud of myself that, I mean, God, I hope <laughs> to not like offend uh, because that would never be my intention, but I'm proud of myself for not immediately saying yes, that they understood where my heart was at and what I was 
trying to and hoping to accomplish. So that's the first thing that I learned. The second thing that I learned by getting to do the Oprah tour uh, is the difference between an alpha female and an alpha male. Let me speak in generalization so I don't get myself in trouble. Um, I had the opportunity to speak on some really big stages in 2019, and I had to, the opportunity to speak for some people who, before I went to speak for them, were my heroes, who are alpha, alpha males, very big in their field, um, and one in particular who um, on more than one occasion I was asked to speak for, who still to this day has never actually looked in my direction, meaning uh, went and opened and uh, flew and traveled and did all of these things to accommodate this opportunity to work with this person at, I'm using air quotes because you know, y'all can't see me, but at his request and um, never looked in my direction, never shook my hand, never thanked me for coming, never acknowledged me in any way. And the flip, well, l- let me sit in that for a minute, um, was utterly devastating to me. Devastating to have this person that I admired for um, most of my adult life sort of go, okay, you've earned your way into the room or you've kind of earned your way to a seat at the table, but now I will intentionally not acknowledge you so you know that you have gotten to here, but only so far. And I suppose that you could say there are all sorts of reasons why someone would invite you to their event and then not um, talk to you. I don't believe for a second that if I was a man, I would have been treated that way. And I also remember telling Dave, my husband, when I like I was so devastated when it happened the first time, it happened twice in case you're wondering if it was a fluke. Um, I told Dave as we were leaving, the day that I cannot come out and thank people who have flown to another country or another state to speak on my stage is the day that I am no longer allowed to do this because I don't want to be that person. And that experience was, it was devastating. It was like the death of a hero. And I know that that sounds very dramatic and I'm setting it up because I want you to know the difference between an alpha male in that setting and an alpha female. I can think of very few people in the world who are more successful, who have more celebrity, who are more powerful, who are more wealthy, who are more successful than Oprah Winfrey. And she had zero reason, zero reason to do what she did at her tour, except that as far as I can tell, she is the classiest human I have ever encountered. And I want y'all to hear me say this because so often I think we hear negative stories about celebrities and this was beyond my expectations. So she welcomed me on to stage for my keynote. I gave my keynote. She came up at the end. We did the Q&A. She hugged me. She walked off stage with me. She looked in my eye like we had a moment. 
she we spoke to each other it was a very it like buttoned everything up i was like this is amazing not for one moment did i expect one more thing out of this person she's at a tour with 15,000 people in the audience she's got all of these demands on her there there are guests that she has like michelle obama like there's she's got stuff to do and I go back to my dressing room and I, I'm back there with all my, you know, my, my best friends and we're all freaking out and holy crap, what a day. We can't believe this is happening. We're all just kind of sitting there in the room, in the dressing room, like what in the world is even going on? What is our life right now? And there's a knock on my dressing room door and my friend, Chris, y'all know Chris, Chris opens a door and he's like, yes, cause he's trying to like be protective. And someone says, Miss Winfrey would like to come visit. Would that be okay? And I mean, the look of panic on our faces, I wish I had a photo of. We like try and play cool. We're like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, of course, of course, of course. And he shuts the door and we look at each other. And it was that moment. You ever have that moment where like all of a sudden you find out companies coming over and your mom just started frantically cleaning the house, throwing things anywhere. That was us. The five of us start frantically cleaning this little tiny box of a dressing room. We're like throwing trash in the bathroom. We're hiding things under pills because all we can think is, oh my gosh, Oprah cannot come in here and have it be messy. And so we're like cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And then we open the door and they're like, she'll be here momentarily. And I'm like, oh my word. And I don't know if y'all saw this video on Instagram, but like she comes on the corner and I literally jump because she's just so beautiful and she's so pulled together. And it's like too, she's too ethereal and I can't handle it. And like I physically react to her being there. And she comes in and like joyfully, and how are you guys? And I want you to hear that she was not just, like she didn't just shake my hand and like give me a hug. She hugged and shook the hand of every single, like I've had Rosie and Sammy and Beans and Chris, like my people, my core people. And she went around to every single one and made every single person in that room feel seen and acknowledged. And then we're talking, and then Gail comes in and I'm like, what on earth is happening? And they hung out in my dressing room. Like when a queen wants to have an audience with someone, she makes the peasant come to her. Oprah did not do that. She came down to us in my dirty, crappy dressing room with Gail. And they hung out with us for like 15 minutes, you guys. She had zero reason, no reason to just come and chat and ask us how our day was going and talk to me about my books and encourage me, be, like zero reason. And Maybe I shouldn't say it's alpha male, alpha female, because maybe there are alpha males out there who would be that classy. But the second thing that I learned from Oprah was the kind of leader I want to be. However many years, 25, 30, I don't even know how long she's been doing this, to still have that kind of intentionality with the people who come into her sphere is a gift and is something that you have to choose and is the kind of leader I want to be. Super freaking classy. Ugh. In order for me to tell you the third thing that I learned, I have to first explain about my keynote. So I have the 20 minutes, which is incredibly constraining to me. And let me tell you why. I don't ever give the same speech twice. 
I mix it up. I change stories. I add little, I talk about things that are currently happening. I'm very, I have intentionally chosen as a speaker that I don't want to just give the same beats over and over, which would be much easier for me. But for the audience, I think if you ever hear me speak more than once, I don't want you to be like, yeah, Rach, we've heard this story before. So I craft whatever it is I'm going to say for each individual stage that I'm on. And also it's incredibly important to me. Like I have a whole style with how I speak and I always start with a funny story. And I always start with a story that intentionally embarrasses me. Y'all maybe heard me talk about this before, but I think that when you're in the audience, it's very easy to see someone on stage which in an arena like this is 15,000 people, you're literally looking at me on like a jumbotron screen. And it's really easy to think to yourself that I am somehow different than you are. It's so easy to think like, yeah, you say to do, but I'm here and I don't have your life and I don't have your resources. It's really easy to think that I'm so different than you. And so I intentionally start keynotes to new audiences by telling a funny story and embarrassing myself because I want you to know real fast, nope, I'm just a girl like you. I have the same problems. I struggle with the same things. I'm gross in the same way you're gross. In fact, here's a story. So I decide before I ever, like when it was like, okay, we're going to do this thing. I was like, I'm going to tell the tampon story. And if you have ever come to Rise, you've probably heard me say this. If you haven't heard the tampon story, I wrote about it in my next book. So get your hearts ready for that. But just know it is a very embarrassing story involving me and a tampon. And right now you're like, oh, wow, you chose to tell that story on Oprah's stage to 15,000 people who don't know you. Like if you know me, that story kills. Like if you're used to my humor and you like my voice and whatever, you think it's hilarious. But if you don't know me and I just roll out and I'm like, all right, let's first start with this. That's interesting. But I felt really strongly that I wanted to start there. And I also, I'm going to be honest, I thought, well, She's going to introduce me and then she's going to be backstage, right? So like I'm just going to tell myself she's not there. I'll be able to perform it. It'll be fine. And then we'll be done. And I go to do my rehearsal the night before and there's a big picture of Oprah sitting on one of the chairs in the audience. And I'm like, what is this picture? And they're like, oh, that's where she'll be sitting. She sits in the audience to watch the keynotes. And I crap my pants. You're telling me that my hero is now going to be watching me deliver this keynote, which I'm already, I'm not normally nervous, but I'm nervous because it's so short and I'm trying to fit a lot of information into a short amount of time. And it's my hero. What? I'm, what? So I'm like, oh, bless. And now it's all in my head. And I'm like, well, maybe the night before I'm like, maybe I shouldn't tell that story because she's so classy and like probably doesn't want to hear about a tampon. And, but I just keep coming back to this idea, which is the third lesson that I didn't learn from this experience, but just reaffirmed for myself. I would rather fail as myself than succeed pretending to be someone I'm not. I could have taken the 20 minutes that I was given the opportunity to have on her stage and I could have done a polished, button up, 
here are five beats, here's what it is, nothing that was dangerous, nothing that was daring, nothing that may or may not have upset people in the audience. But I just kept thinking, then you're going to think, oh, she that's who she is. And I can't do this work if I can't do this work authentically. And I never want to do it in a way that's disrespectful, but I also didn't say anything that I haven't said in my books before, and the books were why they wanted me on stage in the first place. So I was like, well, if you read my books, you know this is my kind of humor. Here we go. And she had had Amy Schumer a couple weeks before, so I was like, if you can have Amy Schumer, I can tell the story about the tampon. So I'm doing this. I'm just like, I'm going for it, right? I go out. I had asked her team, hey, if there's any way that Oprah could not – like. I, it would be better for everybody if I didn't see her before because that's going to make me even more nervous. They're like, yeah, you don't get to choose that. She's going to do whatever she wants to do. Of course, it's her show. She's a queen. So she's like, Rachel Hollis or whatever she said. And then um, I come out and she gives me a hug. And I'm like, I'm now in an out-of-body experience. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. <laughs> I'm like in my brain, like, get it together, get it together, get it together. And I start telling this story. And I'm going to be so real with you guys. I start telling the story of the tampon and I'm like five minutes in and half the audience is dying laughing and half the audience is like, what the hell is going on? But I'm committed. This is me like the greatest showman. I'm going to tell, I'm just going to, I'm like, you can't stop now. And you guys, she gets up from her seat. Oh my gosh, even now for the rest of my life, I'm going to flash back to Oprah Winfrey getting up out of her seat during my talk. And I am not going to tell you the words that were in my head because they were all cuss words, but I was like, oh blank, oh blank, oh blank, oh blank, oh blank, while I'm still telling the story. I haven't finished the tampon story. She gets up from her seat and she leaves. She goes to the side of the stage. Now, Maybe she needed to powder her nose. Maybe she wanted a sip of water. Maybe she was getting notes from her team. But all I can think is she's not going to – she's like, I'm not sitting here. I don't know what this girl's talking about. This is not what my event – I just go to all of these stories, right? And I just think, you know what? You're already here, sis. Just do it. Just go there. So I I tell my story and then I get into what my talk is about, which are these different things that are going to affect you. And I'm doing everything that I can to like preach to this audience and fire them up and make them feel strong. And um, I wrap it. And now this is the point where she's going to come on stage and do a Q&A. And the first thing that she says is, girl, I'm glad you found a point because I was getting nervous with that tampon story. And I died. Like, I am on her stage. This is literally my greatest hero. And now I have gotten confirmation that that was not the right way to have started this moment. And so she's asking me questions. She was asking me about like Five to Thrive and things like, and I didn't even answer correctly. If you were sitting in the audience that day, I, and you know what Five to Thrive is, I started saying things that weren't even Five to Thrive. I was like, Five to Thrive is like giraffes and Cheetos and butterflies. Not really. But whatever I said wasn't even accurate because I was just so freaked out that, oh my gosh. And I I don't know. I guess in my head, it's sort of like, 
there's kind of like, this is what's happening. And then in the back of my mind, and I'm just, what I keep going back to, and this is why I talked about the idea of minimum standards. What, who is this work for? Who is this work for? What is this opportunity for? God gave you this platform for what? Now, maybe it's for a lot of different reasons, but I believe that I have this platform for whoever is sitting in the audience. The work that I'm doing is not, it wasn't for Oprah. It wasn't for her. It's for the mom with three kids who's struggling to find a new job. It's for the dad who's trying to get control of his health. It's for the girl in college who is 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 suffering from anxiety and feels like she's so alone. It's not, I want so desperately to impress my hero, but she's not who this is for. And if it's not for her, then I can't worry about how it's received by her. I am not responsible for how someone else receives me. I am only responsible for what I put out. And I want to continue to put things out in my authentic voice. And so we continue talking. And the last question she asks me is, man, you've had this book and she's talking about Girl, Wash Your Face. And she said, it's been on the New York Times for 84 weeks and people just love it. And what do you think it is? Like, why do you think that people have just latched onto your voice and your, your teaching style? Like, what is it? Why, why do they like it so much? And I looked at her with respect and I said, they like it so much because I'm the one who stands on stage and tells the tampon story. And it was like crickets. <laughs> and she kind of like quirked an eyebrow like, oh. And I said, in a world where people are so polished and so perfect and everybody looks like a magazine spread, I raise my hand and I say, here are here's the truth. Here's the ugly parts. Here's the thing that I've struggled with. Here are the real solid stories. Here's my real truth. And in doing that, other women find permission to do the same. And I will tell you right now that the 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 keynote that I gave for her was not, I mean, nowhere near my best work. So many factors, I'm nervous, time constraints, what but I did the best that I could do with the opportunity that I had and I served the audience well. And even if it didn't come across perfectly and even if the fancy people in the audience who are part of agencies and magazines and press and whatever, even if they are like, who let this country mouse up on the stage telling these hick stories? Well, I would rather fail as myself than succeed as something I'm not. The last thing that I learned from this experience is no matter what level you are at, the only way that you are going to grow is if you get out over your skis. Now, I'm not a skier. I actually, we are going skiing this weekend and uh, it will be the second time in my adult life or really ever in my life that I've tried to ski. But the idea of being out over your skis is like you're out so far, you're, you're leaning so far forward over those skis that you're going to lose your balance. And I, I won't even, I'm going to be super honest with you guys. I want to be like tough and strong and all of that. But the truth is I woke up on Saturday morning when I was going to do this keynote and I was like, I wish I was at home. I wish I had said no. 
I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm nervous as heck. I don't like feeling nervous. I'm a very strong, assured person. I'm a leader. I don't like the feelings of insecurity or I just don't like these feelings. And I've just, I know, I knew going in, shoot, you know, how am I going to do this thing? And I don't know if this is, I just like all the stuff. Right. And that Saturday morning I woke up and I was like, I wish I had said no. And then like immediately I have to like Rachel Hollis myself. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is not who we are. This is not who we are. We call big shots. We try. We're not afraid to fail. We're like, I do the whole thing to myself and remind me who I am. And the truth in that moment, just so maybe this will help you guys, is I knew that there was no way around me feeling all the feelings that I had that day. And so instead of trying to like talk myself out of being freaked out about what I was about to do, I just said, you know what today's going to be about? It's going to be about joy. You are with some of your best friends on the planet. You have this incredible opportunity today to see some incredible speakers. You're in Brooklyn. The weather was amazing. We are going to go have fun. We are going to have joy in every part of this day. So no matter what happens on that stage, you go up on that stage in front of your hero, you pee your pants. Great. Today's going to be about joy. And so I flipped what it was in order to help me get the right headspace to do the work. But when it was over and I found a way and I pushed through and I did what I need and I had you know, people come up to me and say, gosh, thank you so much. Like that was the realest thing and, and I needed to hear that and that's happened to me too and I need it. So the only way that you're gonna elevate ever, ever, ever in your life, no matter how high up you are or how low down you are, is that you've got to put yourself in situations where you know you can fail, where you feel uncomfortable, where you have no idea how you're going to get to the other side, and then you do. Because I will tell you this right now, that was not the best keynote I have ever given in my life. But if I ever had an opportunity to speak on her stage again, it would be twice as good. And it was already better than most. I am confident enough in myself to say that, but the next time would be even better because now I've gotten over the nervousness and the insecurity and all of those things that were affecting my ability to teach. Every single time you push yourself out there, you're going to improve. Every single time you walk through the, you're going to get stronger. Every single time you claw your way up the side of the hill, you've got muscles and tools and things that you didn't have when you were down at the base of the mountain. In order for you to grow in any area of your life, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to challenge yourself. You're going to have to be willing to fail. And the more you grow in your career or your life, you might have to fail on bigger and bigger stages. So the question is, are you willing to stay here? Are you willing to stay stuck? Or are you willing to step up and go, dang it, I have no idea how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to get through it. But we didn't come this far to only come this far. We've got work to do. We've got miles to cross. It starts right now with me taking this next step and showing up for this opportunity. Getting to speak on Oprah Winfrey stage is one of the highlights of my career, is one of the bigger moments of my adult life. And I will remember it for the rest of my life. I will remember the conversation that 
she had with me. I remember the things that she said. And if that is the only chance I ever have in my life to meet my hero, it exceeded every expectation. 